I think the most fascinating thing about the moon is that we actually really don't know much about the moon. You know, the last folks who went there were in 1972. That was the last time man set foot on, on the moon. The world beyond. The emotion is of tomorrow. Brought to you by Michael Mack. Welcome, everybody, to my podcast, The World Beyond the Emotioneers of Tomorrow. I'm Michael Mack, and today my guest is David Reinierson, Senior Software Programmer and Consultant at NASA. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You're currently working on mapping the moon, and we are very excited to learn more about your work on that as well as on the Artemis Space Program. But before we start, we would like to get to know you a little bit more with a quartet of quick questions. One. What did you want to become when you were a child? Oh, um, I mean, a lot of different things. Uh, I think uh, I wanted to be a radio DJ and, uh, and you know, broadcast music. That was a lot. Uh, bookstore owner, relatively boring job, I imagine. But I thought it was the coolest thing as a kid to just be able to sit in a library full of books. Uh, and then I got to own all of them. Um, or uh, my dad. My dad was a, you know, a programmer and he owned his own business. And I wanted to kind of do what he did because I thought he was pretty cool. Still do. Two. What five words best describe your job? Uh, engineering, software, moon, science, geology. Three. What's the most ridiculous rumor you have heard about NASA or the moon? Um, ooh, I'll be careful about this one, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, I mean, the most ridiculous thing I ever heard was that uh, during World War II, the Nazis set up a moon base on the dark side of the moon and uh, that they were going to return at any moment. Uh... Which would be fascinating, but yeah, that's that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So we would have found it by now, presumably. Four. Do you like watching sci-fi movies about space? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've watched pretty much everything from you know Star Trek, Star Wars, and that kind of uh, general flow. But I actually, um, a lot of my, I think, interest in space and inspiration to, um, to do things and work with NASA came from uh, Japanese anime. I was really big into series like uh, Robotech and Cowboy Bebop and Outlaw Star, which had, you know, these characters that were very passionate about, you know, working in space, exploring space and all the nuances that came with that as if it were, you know, the world in the 1990s, you know, year 2000. So that I loved a lot. Wonderful. Now that we have a first impression of you and your work, let's talk a bit more in detail about the future, the world beyond what we know now and how it is nowadays. Would you indulge me and allow me to challenge you a bit with a provoking statement question to get our discussion going? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Great. On the moon seems to be one of the more boring objects in our solar system. Why not explore a more exciting celestial body or phenomenon instead? Um, <laughs> so space, in my mind, is, is one of the most inhospitable areas for humans. Why would we explore the moon? Why explore um, this particular piece? I would, I mean, ask in return, you know, what is life for you? You know, we could stay in our homes, you know, we could, you know, stay and have our comforts, our food, our friends, our family. But there's an adventure out there where we can go explore things we've never explored before, that we've never seen. Um, and the only way to do that is to step out the door and face that danger that exists. So to me, you know, 
going to the moon um, as opposed to going to perhaps, you know, Mars or, um, you know, one of the other planets is that, I mean, the moon is the closest thing we have at the moment. So it's a really good staging area to, to go, see how we operate and prep for future missions to other locations. And the moon seems like a boring place. I know a lot of moon geologists that would like a word with you. I will send them your address. Don't worry. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. Tell us a little bit more about the moon to start with, please. What do we know about it? What are the most fascinating facts about it? Does the moon technically belong to anyone? Um, I think the most fascinating thing about the moon is that we actually really don't know much about the moon. You know, the last folks who went there were in 1972. That was the last time man set foot on, on the moon. And we can look at it and we can, you know, take samples from rovers and things like this, but it, it's not the same as actually going there and actually being there uh, and being on the moon. So understanding the geological composition better um, might also give us better insights into how the Earth geological composition works, because at the moment, we only have the Earth really as a basis. We haven't used other objects as like to check our work and see like, does this match up? Does it function the same way? So that's, I mean, the most fascinating thing about the moon is that we, there is not as much as we'd like to know. And that's part of the reason why we were going there. And then on the question, does the moon technically belong to anyone? Um, the answer is no. Um, we have something called uh, the Outer Space Treaty and all spacefaring nations have uh, adopted this treaty. Uh, which no nation can own anything in space. Um, any of the moons, planets, or stars, they can own the satellites, like countries can claim the satellites, but none of the celestial bodies are up for grabs. So anyone who's brave enough to go out there is is free for all. So so um, what are your main objectives in wanting to explore the moon? What are, I mean, you answered a little bit of that already, but, but what are the biggest challenges in doing so? Uh, I mean, the biggest challenge is getting there safely. Uh, that's 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 of the utmost. Um, we've, uh, you know, the first Artemis mission launched, and it was largely, and it was a great success, you know, but it's not without, sometimes, you know, missions go to the moon and it doesn't work out. So we're we're very focused on making sure that the rocket, the trajectory, that all the safety measures are in place um, to keep people on there. That's That's the biggest challenge. Um, in terms of, you know, some of our objectives, um, you know, we're looking for water, we're looking for ice, um, we're, you know, landing kind of somewhere in the South Pole region. Um, I do not know exactly where, and they wouldn't tell me even if, uh, even if you asked, but, uh, so, you know, setting up an outpost there, having a permanent human presence on the moon, that's the goal of Artemis three is we're, we're going back to the moon which again, hasn't happened in 50 years. And, and we're going to stay there. That's exciting. That's a really exciting time for me. Apart from watching sci-fi movies, what initially drew you to wanting to work on mapping the moon and the Artemis program? Uh, well, so my dad actually worked at NASA back during the Apollo program. Uh, and I think I took a lot of inspiration from that. I really actually didn't think NASA was interested in a guy like me with my background because I'm a computer science guy. You know, I do a lot of web work um, and they, you know, they want, you know, 
fluid engineers and mechanical engineers and electrical engineers. So when there was the possibility to take that and that I was going to be part of Artemis, where my dad was part of Apollo, so that, you know, the twin Greek gods of the moon, uh, honestly, that was, there was a lot of uh, romantic thoughts I had about that, that that's just really cool that I, I could do that and be part of this. Um, so I made the application and, uh, yeah, I'm really happy now to be able to, uh, build up this software with a very talented crew at NASA. So exciting. And, um, I want to go back on the question, why is it so important? You were mentioning 72, it was the last time people been uh, on the moon. Why is it actually <laughs> so important to have a detailed map on the moon? And, um, why are so many space agencies actually going to the moon currently? Uh, I mean, having a map is just good in general. It's good for all things. Good to get to the, you know, to the Reva. It's good to get to any general, you know, place you want to go. So, you know, we mapping out the moon and, and having a, a spot there is, is just a generally good idea. And the moon changes constantly. That's uh, one of the fun challenges. Um, new craters come up uh, far more often than they, they do on Earth, and they're much more apparent. So I can't speak for the other agencies as to, you know, uh, their interests specifically. Um, kind of our goal at, at, uh, at NASA here is, uh, is to get people on the moon. And uh, previously in, I mean, I would say the last, again, the last 50 years, the work scope of human spaceflight has been divided into three parts. Um, you know, plan, train, and fly. We're finally coming now with Artemis to the fourth point that we've been wanting to do for a long time, and that's explore. Um, so that's the big goal here is where we want to explore our galaxy and, and see what we have out there. So what do you expect? What will explore lowering the moon? Tell us about our universe. How will the results and insight gained from the moon shape our understanding of the universe in general, as well as the future of space travel and space exploration And why is the moon a good starting point or even a trampoline for future space exploration? Um, there's a lot of things that we, we don't know about long-term space travel yet. Um, how it if, you know, we have data with um, the, you know, the twins recently, the twin astronauts who one went up and one stayed down and we checked, you know, how that year in space affected him compared to um, the other. But... Um, in general, you know, living, you know, full-time multi-year missions on the moon, we have no idea how that's going to affect us. Um, we don't know dangers out there that, you know, we don't have to worry about right now because we have an, you know, ion sphere and we have, you know, general climate and we have nature in front of us. So we can go for walks. And, uh, so there's a lot of interesting stressors that we're, we're unsure. Space is, again, a very inhospitable place, and we need to learn how to live there. Um, so the moon is a great point to start with that and, and see how we do before we go even further away uh, to a place like Mars. Would you personally want to live on the moon or in space um, if it became possible in our lifetime? I mean... I do think it'll be possible in the next five years. Like, I, I really do believe we will have people on the moons, but it will be reserved for astronauts and, uh, you know, extremely wealthy individuals at this rate. Um, but uh, so would I personally go? I think I would, I would love to go. 
and see it and and experience it. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't stay there. Um, I, I very much like my life on Earth. I like going out into nature. Um, when the moon's been terraformed into a mini Earth, then then we'll talk. Then I'll be very interested in that. So, being in the tourism segment, um, what do you think the future of this space exploration will look like? Are there going to be like lots of tourists? Um, and um, live in there, and there will still be NASA being on another planet or somewhere further away. Is there is there a roller coaster planned on the moon? Is, is <laughs> well, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about that if we can actually build one up there. <laughs> but um, but coming back to the, the the serious question, like, what do you think is like this, the future? I mean, it sounds kind of like I, I would love to have a roller coaster, honestly, on the moon. But um, yeah. what do you think the future of space exploration will look like? Uh, really hopeful on teleportation I, I if we crack that i mean then uh space exploration becomes a lot easier i, I would think but bearing that um you know we there's there's a lot of other different uh, engine types uh that are possible for for the rockets in order to actually get to places and and go to see things on the tourism side um I kind of look towards uh, the age of discovery, um, where shipfaring started becoming much more popular. The first, you know, boat circumnavigated the globe, um, funded by a Spanish expedition. Um, and that was a big deal back then. And, you know, all these different companies then started getting in on it in order to find people, find goods, and, uh, and start trading with what they were able to acquire. Uh, and also, you know, more space um, and being able to do stuff like that. So, and then the tourism comes after that. You know, as soon as other people hear it, they realize that it's a very safe venture. Um, then I think the tourism starts a lot more and we'll start having, you know, flybys around the moon where you can book, you know, a, you know, a 10, 15 day cruise on the, the glorious, you know, rocket yacht and, uh, and get to, you know, see, you know, the deep expanse of space and get to relax and chill out for a bit. I think that'll take a bit of time uh, still to um, get that experience done, but it sounds promising. Um, staying in my world, like in the fictional world of uh, theme park storytelling and technology, um, are there aliens out there? Do you believe in them? <laughs> I think I think this is the number one question I've gotten, um, is where are the aliens? Do they tell you that? Um, they have not told me, so I cannot confirm or deny, you know, are there aliens out? Do I believe aliens are out there? Um, absolutely. Like, honestly, really, absolutely. It's a great waste of space otherwise, isn't it? There's just there's so much out there. It would, it would be terrible. It's also, I mean, the people who, who doubt alien life, um, it feels a little egocentric to me to think that we are the only multicellular life carbon life form that you know was able to get to the point of space flight um there's got to be others out there i'm sure what form and what capabilities they will have i think is part of the you know the lovely mystery of the exploration and uh, i'm looking forward to meeting it them whatever it happens to be at some point so so they don't appear actually on your map yet because my son just asked me before going to bed he said like you have on Google Maps, you have a 3D view. Um, can you ask the guy from NASA if he's seen any of them in his cameras? So you haven't seen them on the maps yet. 
You know, I kept, I kept plugging them about that. I said, you know, if I'm going to work on this, you know, you really should send me to the moon so I can, you know, take some photos and get the 3D view going. I'm still, I haven't heard anything back from that, that request. I, I'm sure it's in process. <laughs> well, if you got a picture, just let, um, send it over to me so I can show it to my son. And yes, tell yes, him of I have course. The first picture of alien from moon. But I'm um, continuing to my question. What would be the biggest benefit for humanity concerning um, the expansion, the economy expansion to the moon or another yeah. planet? What are the benefits for humanity? Uh, I mean, going back to history again, uh, there was a Silk Road that, you know, was established through Asia and Europe, and it really did boost the economy across the board. I mean, it was a major infrastructure piece, um, and it opened you know, new goods being able to flow through uh, with relative ease compared to before. Um, it created new jobs of merchants selling them, you know, people evaluating them uh, and and seeing in everything in between. So it, I think it starts, you know, we get there, we set up an outpost, we, you know, start thinking about, you know, how do we do the agriculture up there? Then the thoughts of, you know, what mining is possible in the area. And then uh, from there, we do research. And uh, it could go as far as, yes, then, you know, we have space tourism and people flying by and uh, having tours of the moon. But so I, I think it's it's going to be kind of like that. So if anything, it will probably repeat like the Silk Road. So how does uh, one go about planning a space mission like Artemis? What evolutionary and biological insights might this lead to? Do you think or hope? Um, the how does one go about planning a space mission like Artemis? Uh, one step at a time. Uh, that's that's probably the best way uh, to phrase it. It's it's a lot of work, um, and it's there's a ton of concerns, um, and the crew's safety and priority are the utmost. Um, and this is, I mean, a bit out of, you know, my field. This is me as, you know, private person, you know, commenting and talking on this because I'm not privy to a lot of the mission discussion. So, you know, the planning point is, you know, making sure we have all the resources there, that, you know, they have oxygen, that we have the material set up for the base, the food, water, energy. Um evolutionarily or biological insights um i really have i really have no idea um from a i think from a sociological point of view though one of my uh greatest hopes is that you know when artemis launch artemis 3 launches and we have folks on the moon successfully um you know people will look up to the moon and maybe they're feeling down about their own world, their own life, or maybe wonder, you know, can people really come together and, and get things done? Um, and, and then they'll look at the moon and realize that there are people up there. I mean, and living and surviving. And it's, it's not, while this is a, you know, a, a U.S. funded project, this is definitely the collaboration of a lot of nations of, different folks and different people coming together to create this technology and to achieve the, make these achievements. So um, I'm hoping that it inspires everyone from every walk of life and different communities to want to improve their own situation and want to come together and work with uh, each other uh, for a better future because we've proven it's possible. We can do amazing things when we work together, so... Yeah, it sounds very promising. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm talking a lot about VR technology and 
I was just sort of, by listening to you, I was wondering myself, how would I communicate with somebody on the moon? Would I just wear my VR goggles and uh, see him over hundreds of thousands of miles through my VR classes? Or is it a satellite telephone I'm going to speak to him? It sounds interesting and very promising, and I'm, I can't wait to see your achievements in the future with Artemis and everything you're doing. Um, as again, I could speak um, all evening with you, um, and I appreciate very much your time to you taken. Um, I mean, you traveled the world. You've been in um, Europe, as you were mentioning. You even speak a little bit of German, uh, as I understood. Um, yeah, I'm Dissian. I'm Dissian. <laughs> so it's like um, this global project come together all um, in America. Um, I mean, do you see, like, Artemis is obviously a Greek name. Um, where do you see Europe? Just being yeah. European, it's like something I'm interested in. Um What do you see as Europeans, which are always a little bit slow and concern taken? Um, um, does it need that wonderful cooperation that um, the NASA is saying, like, let's go together? Um, so having lived in Germany for a long time uh, and experiencing the bureaucracy, I mean, yes, I do understand uh, that it, it can feel a little slow. Um, it's very safe, though. It is It is. It's certainly uh, prioritizing folks and and making sure it's the right approach. Um, it's like the 100% approach kind of idea. And I feel like, I mean, by contrast, in, in the U.S., we, we really do encourage, uh, you know, doing things, even if it might not be the best way. And then we fail, we learn from that, and then we do it better the next time. So there's a lot of potentials for uh, innovation in the U.S. And I think that's one of the advantages But I mean, I think, you know, the European Space Agency is is contributing, is doing quite a lot to help uh, with NASA. You know, we, we didn't get an astronaut this time, but uh, maybe next time. Uh, the Canadian Space Agency won that one. So I, I honestly think uh, all nations, um, and I'm very excited to see uh, groups like India and China are starting to get into the game as well now. And, and funding uh, folks and expeditions and resources because everyone benefits when we that information gets out there. So um, so the more the better, in my mind. Seven years from now. My last question to you is actually, in your opinion, concerning space mapping and exploration, what will the world <laughs> look like in seven years? Will we live somewhere in space or will we be still on Earth? What will be the biggest difference to our life today be? Seven years. Okay, so that would be uh, 2030. I mean, I don't think a, a lot's going to change uh, in terms of space mapping and the exploration. Uh, I think the exploration will be a bit different because we will have gotten to the moon. We will have, you know, learned some things and, and understood uh, some of the nuances of living full-time in space and the moon in particular. I mean, exploration is an extremely dangerous job. It can, uh, it's, it's going into the unknown, it's uncertainty, and that can mean, uh, you know, the ultimate consequence. But with that, I mean, there's learning something and seeing something that literally no one has ever seen before, has ever experienced before. We are, in my mind, a very a curious, uh, you know, creature. We're us humans, so I... I want that curiosity and hope that curiosity continues even seven years from now. 
as uh, we continue to explore the moon and then other celestial bodies in our solar system. That's um, interesting to hear. And um, thank you actually so much for joining me today. It was wonderful listening to you. And um, I hope that it won't take us um, seven years to meet on moon. You're always uh, welcomed and invited to join me over here at Roost and Europa Park uh, for some real analog roller coaster, maybe not as fast as a rocket launch, but nearly as much fun, I would assume. So thanks a lot, David. It was wonderful um, talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to, to visiting Europa Park one day. So goodbye, and let's uncover more of what the future holds together in the next episode. Michael Mann presents The World Beyond. The Emotion News of Tomorrow. A Mac One production.